Happy Easter to you. We're so glad that you're here to celebrate with us. Raise a hallelujah. The story, the powerful story of Jesus, especially the portion that centers on the events of this past week, Passion Week, are both dramatic and overwhelming. You see him entering into the city the last, uh, last Sunday as, as a hero. And by Thursday, the court of public opinion has turned sharply and crowds are, are gathering together calling for him to be crucified, to be put to death as a criminal. John in his gospel covers the emotion and the intensity in a way that has the reader emotionally involved, has the reader asking questions and looking for answers. There are parts of the story that we, we don't really understand. It occurred in a historical era that's different than ours, in a, in a culture that thought, acted, held different values than our culture does. We, we can't imagine the suffering that goes with crucifixion. We, we've never witnessed that kind of cruel execution. The political climate is, is foreign to us. It's, it's complex, it's multi-layered, and so we can be intrigued, we can be interested and invested in the story, and yet lose the connection that it has with our story, the impact that it has on our lives. This is a story that though it's two millennia old, still touches, still imparts hope and brings help to those who are in need. Brings help and hope to what we're going through even right now. I work with people, I, I ask them to share their story with me because our story is part of our identity. In, in this room, there are people who are going through some of the most challenging parts of their autobiography yet. Some who are lonely, confused, some that are depressed, fighting their way through sickness or family difficulties, struggling to keep the wolf away from the door, worried about work or the lack of work, concerned about questions that, that don't seem to have answers and problems that don't seem to have any solutions. This is a message for you this morning. A message of hope, a message that will inspire you to trust God so much that at the end of our time together, you will be able to raise a hallelujah, no matter what you're going through right now. We, we've been immersing ourselves in the story of Jesus in the last 40 days, the story found in the Gospel of John, and we're going together there to get today. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. It's the story of a woman who has found hope, a woman who has had her hope shaken, a woman who then has her hope restored. The central character is Mary. I don't know about you, you may have the same difficulty that I have when I'm reading the Gospels, but there are just too many Marys in that story. There's way too many to keep them all, all separate and apart. I think that I have counted six of them, 
and they're named 61 times. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, who comes from the town of Bethany, Mary, the mother of James the Younger, not James the Older, but James the Younger, Mary, the mother of John Mark, Mary, who comes from Rome, and then Mary, who grew up in a fishing town of Magdala, a small little town on the east coast, on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. She's the Mary we're talking about this morning. Our Mary is mentioned 12 times in the Gospels. We know some facts about her, not as much as we want to know, but we know that she's the Mary who brought the expensive perfume in the alabaster box to the house party that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had the night before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You'll remember she took that expensive box, that expensive perfume, broke it and poured it out over the feet of the one who had rescued her and then took her, her hair and had washed his feet. She's the one who's mentioned quite often with the entourage that traveled with Jesus. There were, there were 12 men, Luke says, with, with Jesus as well as some women who because of their own personal healing or deliverance had taken their place in, in the group, in the entourage, and they traveled with, Je- with Jesus. Our, our Mary's story is an important one, but with few details. She is the one who had seven devils cast out of her. And in gratitude, she is one of the financial supporters of the entourage that travels with Jesus. Many felt that Mary was a woman of means, a woman who had been so helped that she was extremely generous in helping Jesus and his ministry. She's identified as a a witness to the crucifixion. She was there at his burial. She was the first one to discover the tomb was empty and the first one to declare that she believed that Jesus was alive. A devoted, committed, invested follower of Jesus, the result of a life-changing encounter with Jesus. So, so you can imagine the, the heartbreak, the, the trauma that comes when she sees the man that, she, that changed her life, the man that she loved hanging on the cross as a criminal. You can imagine the, the hurt, the heartbreak as, they, as she stands there and watch them take his lifeless body from the tree. You can imagine her distress, understanding that there's not enough time to properly prepare the body for burial as as she watches them put the body in and then roll the heavy stone to, to block entrance and exit from that tomb. As she watches the Romans post a guard so that none of the zealots that followed Jesus could steal his body and say that the myth that he began, that he would rise on the third day, is true. Imagine the sleeplessness that kept her tossing and turning on Friday with questions, with doubts, with reliving what she knew, what she believed, what she understood. 
Then the long day Saturday as she stayed locked up in a room with the rest of the group attempting to stay under the Roman radar, staying invisible, hoping that no one would discover where they were and come and arrest them as well. Saturday night wasn't any better for sleep. The day was new. The sun wasn't even up. She'd agreed to meet with some other prominent women to go to the tomb so that they could hopefully get in and complete the preparations for the body of Jesus. But she couldn't sleep, and so she went much earlier than she had arranged with the others. You can imagine her walking there and crying as she goes. And, 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 and when she arrives, the, the burial site isn't at all what she expected to see. The burial site is in disarray and far from what she had expected. First of all, she recognizes that the Roman guard is gone. They're not in their place. What's more, the, the stone that had blocked the entrance of the tomb was rolled away, and her mind jumped to some very understandable but incorrect conclusions. She decided that some irreverent grave robbers had come and taken the body of her rescuer and had done something to desecrate his memory and his name. And she was heartbroken. She was upset beyond belief. She was inconsolable. And so she turns around and she runs back to find Simon Peter and and John and to tell them about the robbery that's taken place. The lesson from this part of the story is, is so straightforward. Life wouldn't be so difficult if it just unfolded, if it, if it just unwound in, in a way that we had planned for and could be ready for. It rarely does that. It rarely does that. It, this is an important thing to hear. Things are seldom as they first appear. In your situation, things are seldom as they, are, as they first appear. Our enemy has a knack for, for stirring up trouble, for magnifying problems and minimizing the power, the presence of God. Our enemy aims to divide us so that we're not strong, to discourage us so that we dare not hope, to divert our attention so that we don't look for answers from the only one who holds the answers. When you're told that there are no answers, remember that God makes a way where there seems to be no way. When when people in power and in the know say that all that has been done, all that can be done is done and there's nothing more that we can do, know that it is God just getting warmed up to do the impossible. When you've been told that you're going down for the last time and, and, and that you're not going to get up again, I want you to raise a hallelujah. I want you to say this boldly and out loud. I am more than a conqueror because of Christ and because of his love for me. That's the truth. 
When it seems that chaos is in charge, that God can't be found, stop where you are and raise a hallelujah. Declare a praise. Announce the truth that God has promised that you will never be alone. Take your eyes off the chaos and look for the one who triumphed over and conquers every fear. It's just one of those ways that I raise a hallelujah. I trust God because I know that with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Fear and faith never mix well. They stand in opposition to one another. John and Peter as well, as the rest of the entourage have been hiding behind locked doors and shuttered windows. They're afraid for their safety. The news that the body of Jesus has been stolen causes them to run to the graveside. And John, being younger, is the first to arrive. And he looks in the tomb. He doesn't go in. He just puts his head in and he looks in the tomb. And sure enough, there's no body. But the grave clothes that had been wrapped around the body were left. they're, They're lying on the shelf where he lay. Who would be able to sneak past the Roman guard, move the stone, go into the tomb, take the time to unwrap the body, leave the grave clothes behind, and and take the body? Not only who, but why? Why not just scoop up what you came for and run and hope you don't get caught? John didn't understand what he saw. The evidence that was in front of his eyes didn't make sense. I've been there on more than one occasion where the situation that I'm facing just doesn't make sense. And questions come. Why is this happening? God, how could you allow this to happen to me? And how could you allow it to happen to me now? Don't you know that it's inconvenient? Where are you, God? This doesn't make sense. And when questions come flooding into your mind, when doubt starts rising like a flood, it's time for you to stop the questions. Stop the questions and remember that we don't see what God sees. We we don't understand. We don't have the information available to us that God has. Remember that that he has promised to make things come together for good no matter how messed up they may seem, how difficult they are. Our response is to be by faith in the middle of the questions, in the middle of the chaos, to stand and raise a hallelujah. Vocalize a praise in the middle of the storm and look for God to do what only God can do. Remember the tormentor that you have never seen the righteous forsaken. Remind the tormentor that you've never seen the righteous forsaken. You've never seen their seed out begging for bread. Simon Peter arrives shortly after John is there. And he's braver 
in that he doesn't just look from the door. He enters right in to where he sees the grave clothes lying. And, and he notices yet another detail. The cloth that was wrapped around the head of Jesus has been removed from his head, has been neatly folded, and is sitting apart from the cloth that wrapped the rest of the body. And that really doesn't make sense to John. John joins Peter inside the, the tomb and, and their minds are racing and they're trying to put what they see together and what they know and what they've heard Jesus say. And, and, and it's all coming so fast and it's all so overwhelming and confusing. But it's John that understands first. He, he sees the evidence he remembers what Jesus had said three days, and then he would rise from the dead. And he remembers being there when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave. He, he remembers the widow's son being res, raised from the dead. There's a precedent here. And, and, and it says that when he saw the empty tomb, John believed. It came together for him. You see, the longer we travel with Jesus, the more quickly we discover this to be true. When the revelation of who Jesus is and all that he can do collides with the promise that we have been given, faith explodes. And when faith explodes, it's there that fear is conquered and dies. All of a sudden, John wasn't afraid. He believed. He believed. The promise was stated so clearly in Scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. But, but they hadn't understood it. It wasn't real to them. They weren't possessed by the confidence that God would do what God said he would do. I have a little bit of, the, of, of a faith mantra that I've been declaring for the last three or four years. At, at first, it was just five words that came out of Scripture that they were nice, they were positive, a positive affirmation, but I kept repeating them daily, declaring them in the good times, saying them twice as often in the bad, just kept starting my prayer time with these words, with God nothing is impossible. It, it, it's been my revelation it's been what collides with my promise that states clearly, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus every time. It conquers my fear. It's just one of the ways that I can raise a hallelujah. I trust God because I know that nothing is impossible with him. John's narrative states that when faith conquered their fear, they didn't run home, but they turned around and they went home. They believed. They believed that what had been promised had come to pass. They just went back to the place called home and they waited for further instructions. It's all going to be okay. They were helped, but Mary, she was still in trouble. She's on her own. She's outside the tomb and she's, she's crying. She's distraught. She gathers up the courage to 
go to the door of the tomb and to stick her head inside to see what she can see. And, and what she saw was a complete surprise. There, there are two angels. There's one up at the top where his head had laid, and there's one at the foot of the shelf where his body had been. There are two angels there, and she's unaware of who they are. The time is emotionally charged. It's full of fear. She doesn't recognize the men as angels. She doesn't know who they are or why they would be sitting in this sacred place. I want you to understand this. Emotion and fear do not take us to truth. Our heart has the ability to, to race ahead and make up endings to a story that has no basis in fact. Our heads can become quite disorganized, messed up, because it fails to see the truth, to deal with rational thought. Fear is a bully that pushes us into some pretty dark, pretty horrific places, makes us doubt ourselves, makes us doubt who we have around us, makes us doubt God, makes us believe that we're left on our own when nothing could be further from the truth. When she's questioned, why is it that you're crying? The woman states that emotion and fear have presented a fact, and she's hung on to it. They. She doesn't know who they are, but they. They came and stole my Lord's body, and I have no idea where they have put him. Facts that are built on fears. Scripture says that when emotion takes over, when fear begins to bully us and push us around, that God has given us the authority to take emotion, fear, and even ourselves in hand and to stand in a posture of calm stillness until we know that God is there that he's in charge, that he's helping us, that he will not fail, that he will not abandon us because he's promised that he would never leave or forsake us and he's never broken a promise. In that posture of stillness, when the revelation that he is God comes, it's time to raise a hallelujah, to lift up a praise, to make a declaration of who he is. To sing the song of David, Fear not, for he has redeemed you. He has called you by his name, and you belong to him. If you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. If you go through the flood, you will not drown. Fear not, for he has redeemed you. It's time to raise a hallelujah. The angels ask questions but don't give her answer because the answer is standing just feet away, just, just behind her. Mary, Mary turns to leave the tomb, but she sees someone standing there and fear is in control. And so she doesn't realize who it is she sees. She, she doesn't recognize the familiarity of the voice when it says to her, dear woman, 
Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? What's the, the emotion all about? It amazes me how many times God shows up. How many times God and how many time, ways He speaks and, and we don't recognize who He is or His voice. Recently I've been learning to look for patterns. There's a pattern here. The, the angel said, what, what are you looking for? And, and Jesus said, what are you looking for? And, 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 and in our lives, there are those kinds of patterns where the same problems arise, the same people show up, the same questions come to our mind, the same fears come to haunt us. It's time to stop and look for patterns. And when we see a pattern, ask God, for his help to understand why is this pattern in place. Mary thought that the gentleman who was asking her the questions was the gardener, the person in charge of the grounds, and, 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 and just trying to be nice. And yet she makes this stunning statement to a man she doesn't know, so she thinks. She, she says, sir, if you have taken Jesus away, just tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. You have to stop and think about the insanity of that statement. It, it, it's like... That little lady who stood beside me today and said she's my wife, because she is. Um, it, it, it's like Debbie hears that one of our friends has died and the body has been dumped three blocks away. So if you give her the address, she'll walk over, she'll pick it up, she'll bring it back to the church in time for the funeral. Sir, if you tell me where the body is, I'll go and get it. it, it it's amazing what we say when we're under the influence of fear. She's standing there, and the man she thinks is the gardener says one word, Mary. He called her by name. And that one word cut through all the chaotic emotion, and it reached out, it rescued her. In shock and, and relief, she turns to him, and she cries out, Teacher, it's you! And all of a sudden, the fear evaporates. All of a sudden, the chaos comes to order. Death wasn't a problem. Grave robbers were not the center of her mind. Hope has come. Everything has changed when he called her by name. It's an amazing thing to understand how your name is connected to your identity. How it... It's a signal, it's a connection to who you are and where you belong. If, if you know me, then you know my name. And if you know my name, we have a connection. There's a bond. Jesus said in this very gospel, the gospel of John, he, he was the kind, the loving shepherd, and he said this, my own sheep will hear my voice, will recognize my voice, and I know each and every one of them by name. And when I call them by name, they will follow me. If I know your voice, if you know my name, there's a connection. And Jesus says, 
Mary. Things always change when you get so close to Jesus that you hear his voice, you, you hear him call you by, by your name. And in moments like that, it's perfectly appropriate. It's, it's perfectly fine to, to raise a hallelujah, to declare out, Lord, Lord, you are my shepherd. There's nothing else that I want, nothing else that I need. Everything changed for her at that moment. Mary, she didn't, she didn't understand it all. She didn't understand the, the theology of, of Jesus ascending to hell to wrestle control of death, hell, and sickness away from our enemy. She didn't understand the, the spiritual physics of, of a body in transition from death to life. She didn't know what was going to happen next or, or what this change meant to her or to her life or, or what her life purpose was or, or the answer to a thousand other questions. She did know she was totally totally confident that all that Jesus said was true and that he was here now. And she knew all of that just from this one word, Mary. She would never doubt his word again. So when he asked her to go to the brothers, to, to the 11 that, that were left of the group of 12, she, she did not hesitate. She went as quickly as possible. She, she found them. She burst into the room, and without a moment's hesitation, without the slightest concern of what they would think or say to her, she just boldly announces, I have seen the Lord, and he lives. It's not a vision, it's not a dream, it's not a grief-inspired reflection of better time. I have seen the risen Lord. His word is true. We're good. We're good. I want the worship team to come. I, I would dare say that in this room this morning, there is hardly a person who would be able to stand and say that this week or this month or this year, and it's only the fourth month of the year, has been just a slice of heaven. I, I, I walk and I talk with most of you and, and I, I very seldom hear you singing, Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. You know, I, I, I stood in the foyer for a bit. I stood in here and, and I listened and I didn't hear one person humming or singing that song or one like it. We, we live in a different reality. Truth is that there is a lot of pressure these days. This week has been an incredibly difficult week for you, for some of you. In, in the circle of friends that I have, there's been so much hardship, so much to face doctors who have delivered on happy news, property that's been stolen, vehicles that have been damaged, da disappointments that have come by the truckful, money shortages, loss and grief showing up unexpectedly, uncertainty about jobs and future plans, problems that appear to be larger than what we had imagined or had planned. Evidence that doesn't make sense, doesn't answer questions, but raises way too many more questions. 
emotions that overflow the banks of our lives and drains us of all our energy and, and fear that bullies us, steals our sleep, destroys our peace, makes threats that it's going to unleash the full fury of our enemy on our life. If you were here last week, you'll remember that I said that God had created us to respond, to react in faith. That no matter what the situation, we were to get, not to get lost in the circumstance, but we were to respond in faith. We were to trust God. And that's what this is when we raise a hallelujah. If you go to the dictionary and you ask, what is the meaning of the word hallelujah? The dictionary will tell you that it means let God be praised. And that praise is uttered out of a heart full of worship and is an expression of joyous expectation. said you are. You love me and you're going to break through for me. James says that when you fall into all kinds of of trouble, difficulty, trials, don't fret, don't stew, but react this way. Rejoice. Because you you know you can stop worrying you can worship God because he's at work he's refining you he's making the impossible possible so that you will be fully equipped you'll be fully prepared to go where you you did not think you could go do what you did not think you could do accomplish what you've been asked to accomplish raise a hallelujah On this Easter Sunday, it's my pure delight to announce to you that the one who conquered death, who put sin in its place and made sure that both fear and death had no power or influence over you, has hope for you and has hope for you here and now. I'm privileged to announce that you That no matter what you are facing, where you are personally right now, God is calling your name and everything is about to change. You are not alone. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. He knows your name. My prime minister has 33 million people to to lead. He only knows me by a nine-numbered sin number. But my God, who has the whole world in his hands, knows me by name. Knows how many hairs are on my head. That number's far less than when I first started with him, but he knows the number. this Easter Sunday, it's time to stand and to raise a hallelujah. In a few months that we've been singing this song, it's become a very important part of my journey. There have been some overwhelming things that have come my way and come at me, and I'm, I'm training my spirit not to react in fear, but instead to stand still and know that He's God and raise a hallelujah. 
worship of who God is and with rejoicing that I know that both He hears my prayers and He answers my prayers, I raise a declaration of faith and trust. Let God be praised in this circumstance. Listen to these inspired words of training and instruction. Words from the song that we're going to sing in just a moment. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies because I'm not afraid, I'm not vulnerable, and most of all, I'm not a victim. I raise a hallelujah louder than my unbelief. I refuse to be bullied into silence because of fear. I will raise my voice. I will declare what is true. I will say who he is. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. The enemy comes and he tries to steal our voice, steal and destroy our song. But as I sing about his goodness, his greatness, there's something of his presence and his power that sweeps into my world and makes all the difference in the world. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. My resources are limited. Heavens are unlimited. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. I won't be an emotional basket case, afraid of every shadow, afraid of every difficulty. I am the one who's found dancing in the middle of the storm. Confident in God, louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. I will not be intimidated. I will not be bullied. I will not be the victim with no voice, but the one who has a confidence that says, Hallelujah! The Lord God reigns forever and forever. Up from the ashes. I think we've all been there. We've been in the dust pile. We've we've been swept off the sidewalk and just left at the side of the street waiting for the, the street sweeper to take us away. But up from the ashes, hope will arise. The spirit of a bold pioneer, we will rebuild. I don't know if you listened to the news this morning, but brothers and sisters in Christ who were gathered for services around the nation of Sri Lanka, worshiping the God of heaven who has raised Jesus from the dead, they're they're together and suicide bombers go into several churches and explode. 189 people died. Hundreds hurt. The evidence isn't good. Doesn't look like God's doing his job. Fear sort of gets hold of people's hearts. You're sitting there right now wondering, okay, who's in the, who's, are the ushers in the foyer? Are they going to be able to keep suicide bombers out of our house? But it's with confidence that I tell you this, God's still in control and that this Christmas and next Easter, There won't be fewer in Sri Lanka. There'll be more. There'll be more. It's time in Sri Lanka to raise a hallelujah. Death is defeated. The king is alive. Will you stand?